Let's take a little time to reveal The prehistoric stories that the earth once concealed Mix them all together on this ancient land It's time to spread some paleo jam and welcome to another edition of Paleo Jam. I'm your host, Michael Mills, and I'm here with uh, Professor Rod Wells. G'day, Rod. Good evening, Michael. And um, now normally, uh, this is a very special edition because normally I bring an object and I get the guest or guests to bring an object, but today we are in fact in the object, surrounded by the object. We're here, Rod, in the Victoria Cave of the Narracourt Caves, and you had a little something to do with the fact that we're able to be here, sitting here, where we are. Um, describe us what we're looking at. Well, we're looking at a sea of bones of extinct marsupials that are just scattered over the surface of the cave floor here. And this, and I'm looking at this. This is where I sat 53 years ago when I first entered this chamber. So we're sitting exactly where you sat. Exactly where I sat. 53 years ago. Which is a pretty remarkable thing, isn't it? It is. I never, in my wildest dreams, thought I'd still be back here. <laughs> as we were, it was funny, as we were driving up, you sort of said, I've been driving this road for 50 years. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still playing with bones. Still, and it's, but it's a, and for you, it was a, obviously a life-changing moment. Oh, you know, they talk about the year that changed me, 3rd of August 1969. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, so let's let's go back to that time and um, tell us a little bit about why it was that you and Grant... Yes, yeah, Grant Cartrell. Yeah. Grant Cartrell. Why it was that on that day you decided that this... I mean, you didn't know this was here. Well, well, you, well <laughs> you, you, knew that, you, you knew there was a cave, but you, yeah. you came in blind, I suppose, in a sense. Oh, yes. Um, uh, you know, we, we, it was a Sunday and we'd been exploring other caves. You can probably um, even tell us what temperature it was that day, can't you? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it, wasn't too, it wasn't too bad, actually. I, I, it was a, a, a nice, crisp autumn day, in a, not a, um, a spring day when we came through. Ooh. So you, you, uh, you, yeah. you, we, you, you know, came but down. But once you come into the cave, the, the caves are pretty uniform temperature. They don't change much during the season. Yep. So. so back to the point, yeah, what... There's a there's there's a hole at the entrance which is where that we came through, but there's another hole near there which is where you came through. Yes, I mean, I, you know what? I was actually looking for fossils in caves. Okay, so and, that, that was and, your motivation, and that was yep. my motivation, and why I joined the Cave Exploration Group of South Australia. I I'd come from the University of New South Wales and through the University of New South Wales Caving Group, and I'd come over here to explore the caves under the Nullarbor in 1963, 64, and and I just I was an engineer, but I just became obsessed with finding bones of animals in caves. So how, how did because that's interesting. Is it? How did that come about? Did you just wake up one morning and decide, caves, caves are my thing? Well, yes, in this sense that um, I grew up in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney and uh, a beautiful place, a little town called Lura, and I spent my, you know, adolescence bushwalking and, and exploring 
through those valleys. And of course, there'd been lots of old coal mines and things in there, long abandoned. And so there was bits of machinery and so forth in the bush. And I think I'd read too many National Geographics as a kid. And it was like, you know, you're going into the forest and plowing through and then finding the ruins of some industrial material in there. And, and it just, it's curiosity. Fascinating, yeah. It's absolute absolutely curiosity. I'm always driven by it's like, curi- it's like, it's curiosity. Like, it's a chamber of secrets, yeah. isn't it? And to go into, you know, you can walk on just about any part of the surface of the earth and probably somebody's walked there before. But as a caver, you know, you can pull a few rocks out of a hole and you can go back, goodness knows how many years. I mean, here, we, we didn't know it at the time. We, we, we'd gone back 200,000 years. And, and <laughs> so, so, so you, you're inside, basically on your stomachs, dragging yourself through yes, on your well, hands and knees? That... Yeah, well, you know, you might ask why. Why did, what on earth made you go down that <laughs> hole, you know? Yeah, it seems uh, like crazy Why that stuff. hole? Why? Yeah, why not any of the other holes? Mm. Well, there's an interesting phenomenon with caves. As the air pressure changes outside, air moves in and out of caves. Right? You drop the air pressure outside, any air in the cave will rush out and you increase the pressure outside and the air will move in. And so we're sitting, you know, at what was to become the tunnel we went into, a bit over the top behind us, behind this big rock pile, and we used acetylene lamps in those days, carbide lamps. And so you put a bit of water onto some carbide and it produces acetylene, it's the old miner's lamp. It's like a little flame that's burning there all the time. And it was just, you know, we were at sort of the end of the day doing a bit of exploring, and suddenly the flame on the acetylene lamp flickered or did it flicker no I thought I saw it flicker no it didn't okay well Grant stayed back and uh, and Bob Hensel and I went well we're going to look at this hole over here and we went to look at the hole over and then we came back where's Grant oh he's in there and here's the soles of his boots poking out from under the ledge because while he'd been waiting for us the flame on his lamp started to flicker more vigorously so there was air coming out so there had to be a chamber beyond so if you'd been in there with a modern day torch you wouldn't have spotted <laughs> well, the you flicker you probably would not have spotted it and you might never have been tempted to... I mean you might have felt the breeze maybe well you maybe have felt the breeze if you were in the right but, position but it was that flickering it was that little flickering that little puff of air which has led to all South of Australia's world, world heritage. heritage site, and it's, it was just a puff of air. That's where it started. Fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> it like, is you, you can, you can, you can trace the 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 whole of this. The whole of this to that, that puff flickering of air, of air to the fact that it wasn't a modern day torch, and the fact that it was an older acetylene lamp. An old acetylene lamp yeah. has flickered, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, yeah. there's more to see. Grant's shot off, his well, feet had dangled. Off. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so tight, you couldn't put a helmet on your head or anything. You're going to just push the caving helmet ahead of you. And so you're really flattened out. And Grant's raking rock out of the side of this flattener, and he's pushing it back, and I'm pushing it back and kicking it back. And we're worming along, worming along. And if we follow the ceiling. You don't dig out of the, you know, you, you, you weren't digging out the floor. We're following the ceiling, and the ceiling started to rise. And up we went and up we went and finally we were emerging into a, a bigger rock pile with more space. And finally we, you know, burst into this big chamber behind us. Yep. No? And uh, 
Now, the, the next thing is if you're not careful with your enthusiasm, you roar off and you can't remember which hole you went came out of. I guess, how do you, because you, you're digging your sweat, do you ever stop to pause for a moment and think, are we going to be able to get out? Are we going to be able to turn around? Now, because I remember many years ago during Paleontology Week, uh, one Saturday morning, I think it was you, me, Terry Reardon and Simon yeah. Langsford. Oh, yeah, there's some names. We went into, it was the first time I'd done like this, this underground crawling on your belly. And I can't remember what cave it was, but it was that thing. You, we're crawling on our bellies, um, like end to end, yes. basically. And we come well, to this little chamber and we giant, sit yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, obviously we could turn around and we came to a gate. And I think, and you hadn't been through that gate for, and I think we went, or well, we stopped at the second gate, like the, the. But how do you, how do you know? I mean, you don't, do you? You, you is it like? <laughs> well, you know, if you, if I suppose you'd have to. It's go backwards. Well, worst you, case, you can shuffle backwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, caving here is fairly benign compared with some of the caving in the eastern states. And the reason is here all the rock lies an old seafloor, so everything's horizontal. And um, so there's no great clefts that you like to drop into. You go to the hard limestones, the dolomitic limestones and so forth of the eastern states, and they're all tipped up on edge, the strata on edge, and you get you know wedge-shaped holes that you're trying to negotiate your way over the top. If you slip into one of those, you can get wedged, literally. But yeah. here, you're pretty safe. And the main thing is it's just psychological, you know. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you... Some people get claustrophobic and they panic and they puff themselves up and then they're stuck and it sort of <laughs> feeds on that. But, you know, for us, the cavers, no, it's just patience. And, it's just uh, patience. Just patience. Yeah. So, so you, you come into this, this chamber yeah. um, and you see well, that's, the bones that we... Well, well not know, these ones because it's been dug down. And but but what 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 did you see? And you, you're talking about the fact that you remember this day. Oh, like and, I can. And I guess so it's, what, like it's, it's clear as day. I can tell you what it was. Were like. you like, oh my god? Like, no, what? no, no. It was spookier than that. Was, um, we'd come over the top. I saw the big sediment floor disappearing up this passageway. Grant the ever enthusiastic grant had vanished he'd gone up there somewhere and i yelled out to him to stop because you know these sediment floors are where you look for bone if it's going to be there and also had a sense of you know how much sediment might be there because you know something about the topography of the geology that you've come through and i was sitting here and there was something it was subliminal almost there's something that alerted me and I'm I'm waving the carbide lamp around. It's not a particularly bright light, it's almost like a limelight, you know, and I'm mm. waving it around. And there's something in the back of my head telling me there's something going on here and going and then I spotted it. And I spotted it and I saw these funny zigzag patterns and I realised, hey wait a minute. They're tooth rows. They're tooth rows. Oh there's another oh they're skulls. And there were a couple of skulls sitting out here on the sediment to my right, turned upside down. And, and then I swung the light across to my left here, and there were these sort of other shapes. And I realised those shapes were, were not skulls, but they were limb bones. And so, you know, you get a search image, and then 
the more I looked, the more these strange shapes started to to appear. Take up like, as you, a, you, you got your eye in. I got mine, and I recognised. And I'm sitting there, and there's just this there's this feeling of uh, controlled excitement, and you know, <laughs> thinking, what have I found? And I look down, and I look down at my feet. And I'm just about standing on an upturned skull of the marsupial lion. Oh, just right. Thylacalia. Yeah, yep. It's just lying there. And to the left of it, I'm looking at this, these little strange shapes. And I thought, my goodness, that's a hand. So I've got the upturned skull. And here's the hand of Thylacalia reaching to me from... God knows how back how in long time. Yeah. And on display here behind us is a cast of that of that, one. Of that so very it's reaching arm up. and hand. It's, almost, just like a, it's just like it's almost reaching. reaching up to say, I have a story to tell. <laughs> I have so many stories. And oh. that's the thing. The the like you're, you're and, and as we are now, we're we're sitting in a place where all of these animals basically breathed their last breath yes yes because obviously to become a fossil you die you get buried but but breathe their last breath this this community this this all of these creatures and each one of them including that thylacoleo that yeah stood at your feet or that you were you were you you were there was there was by your feet each one of them is an individual with its own stories i mean and that's one of the really fascinating things too, isn't it? Because we, we often, we, we, we talk about the species and, and what it does and scientifically what we know of the animal. But everyone that has a pet dog or a cat or whatever, we know that, that animals are their own individual things yeah, as well. Yeah, they're sentient so each, beings, yeah. Yeah, each thylacoleo skull that's been found yeah. was a sentient being exactly. and stuff. And, and we get to sit here with this tapestry of stories yeah well but, but you know it was nothing like the massive bone that you see exposed here now we're only looking at little bits and pieces but somehow sort of deep inside I, I, I had this feeling that this is something significant now you might ask how did I know what was a thylacoleo or how do I know those upturned skulls were extinct kangaroos well for bits and pieces of these animals had been described from the Wellington Caves in New South Wales, yep. you know, back in 1859. And so there was nothing new, and I knew what I was looking for with megafauna. Because so that's the thing, that, that was key to this, wasn't it? So, yeah. so you've got Grant, the caver, yeah. um, who understood how caves work, and he's off he's racing off, off to find more and you're caves. like, hang on a minute, yeah, hang, on. <laughs> hang on. I think there's something here, because biologist... Yeah. You you see yeah. things differently, and it's that combination, wasn't it? I reckon it, 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 it was a it was quite a strange and profound sort of feeling. Um, you know, I still had to something in my brain told me it was enormous, but yet if you actually counted up the number of bones on the surface, it wasn't all that much. Grant came scurrying back down one, you know, to talk. He said, "Oh, there's bone up there," and I said, "I know, Grant." <laughs> I said, there's a few there's around a here few too, around right? Here. And, and so I followed Grant, and we and he we retraced his steps, almost exactly stepping in the sand because we by now we didn't want to step on any skull or any 
anything like that. And we worked our way and this sediment floor gradually rises and rises to the back of this chamber, this tunnel up here, and rises towards the ceiling of the cave. And we sat up the back there and realised we were sitting on a sediment cone. So this is the distal end of a sediment fan from a cone of sediment that's sediments pouring through through some hole in the limestone way back there. So so what's what's if you were alive at the time and that's happening, what are you, what are you seeing? What's what's in terms of reconstructing this? What 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 is it, what does it look like? So is it is it a river of animals? Falling down all at once, well, you, or is well, it yeah, one at a time? Is it what's the? Because you only need you only need one a year over ten thousand years, yeah, don't you? To get a lot of animals and a couple of hundred bones in a mammal skeleton, so it doesn't yeah. take long to get so, a, an so, enormous quantity yeah, of bones. what is it? Because that's part of why something like this is so valuable, but also the, why the work of paleontologists is so fascinating because it's to take us back to. To what was actually happening then? So, yeah, so well, I mean, I had a, what know, do we know about that? Well, I had a, you know, sitting at the back of this cave, up on the on the rising cone of sediment disappearing to some hole in the ceiling, long blocked, and looking back down across it, I could see bits of sh limestone shingle armouring the, you know, the, the the steeper slope on the cone, and scattered amongst it bones, lots of bones, and then as we worked our way back where the sediment reached the side wall of the cave and there was bone scattered there. So, I, and, and what I knew about the topography of what we'd come through from the other side of this big rock pile, in my brain I said, look, you know, it has to be you know, several metres of sediment here alone. And I, I thought it was big. And Ernest Maddock, who was the director of National Pleasure Resorts and who was a caving member who and happened to be here at the time, and Ed was waiting outside for us. He was the one that led us into this old closed-up tourist cave. And I said, I, and I still remember the words, I said, Ed, I think we just grabbed the tiger by the tail. Um, I, I just got a feeling that this is, this is really quite a deposit. And we came back on the next weekend with soil augers and, uh, and, and some pegs, and we put in a grid of pegs uh, and and then we, we we started drilling down at each of the we had a, a grid that was in those old days it was imperial so the grid was you know uh, ten feet by ten feet say roughly three meters by three meters and we drilled down with a soil auger and as you drill down it went crunch 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 and you'd bring it out and you'd take the dirt out of the end of the soil auger and there was broken bits of bone and some more and broken bits of bone. And so we're down, you know, a metre and a half, and as we go towards the back of the cave, we're getting down to something like two metres. And we continually... You're still getting bone. And we're still getting bone out of it. And so I, I knew it was enormous, enormous. And I remember at the stage saying one particular thing. I said, you know, oh, no, it was a bit of a hard crunch. I said, I've probably drilled through a thylacoleo skull, ha-ha. Years later, when we excavated down... Here's the thylacoleo skull with a hole in, with its, a head. Hole in its head, <laughs> and that skull's in the South Australian Museum collection. You do. <laughs> and, yeah, so um, you know that's how it all began, and uh, and then it was it was Ern that turned to me, and I said to Ern, you know, would you would you give us permission to actually excavate this because it's in a tourist cave and so forth? And he and Ern said to me, Rod, can we do a deal? If if I brought tourists in here to watch you work 
how would you feel about that? And then I'll, you know, and I'll get try and get permission get for you to, permission to do to, the work. To do the stuff. And, and I, I didn't have any problem with that. I said, you know, and that's what science is all about. It's about communicating it to the public and everything else. And not a problem by me. So that's, that's how it started. And what a fascinating experience for the tourists that come in and oh, yeah. see that kind of thing. So so you, you have that extraordinary moment of wow. Yeah. And, 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 and then that other moment that, you know, the week later where you're digging and it's like, oh, there's another bone, there's another bone. Oh, we're two metres down, we're still yeah. finding bones. But along the way, of course, you're 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 finding and discovering more and more things, and and I guess what what have we learnt from the caves about the stories of prehistoric Australia during the you know what we call the the, the megafauna time? What what does it what does it tell us about what the landscape looked like? Well, you, you, then you sort of have to start thinking about what these strange kangaroos and things like marsupial lion were doing for a living. What what sort of so uh, yeah, maybe, maybe talk about a couple of like, like so yeah. thylacalia. Tell tell us tell us a bit about thylacalia because well, well, it's my favourite <laughs> well, of the megafauna. It's it, it's it's the iconic marsupial from here, really thylacalia. Um, it's a very unusual animal. It's got blade-like premolar teeth that are unprecedented in the mammal world. And these are sort of big recurved teeth that they're akin, if, you, if you've got pruning shears to prune your roses with, that's what they look like. They've got these curved teeth that come together uh, like shears. And anything caught between those curves is done for. It's chopped through. But, the, but, but you know, you'd say your immediate thought is this thing is a carnivore. But as we know, most carnivores have got big, nasty canine teeth. They're stabbing teeth they use to kill their prey. The canine teeth on Thylacalea are little nubbins. You know, they've got some little... Tiny little... Tiny little button-like teeth. But what stands out is that the front incisor teeth are quite large. And... um, and they have a condition we call diprotodonty, two front teeth. And the mars- amongst the living Australian marsupials, the ones that are diprotodont are things like wombats, koalas, possums, kangaroos. So it's a giant sheer-toothed possum. Oh, yeah, yes, and that's actually <laughs> that's quite a good analogy, Michael. That is quite a good analogy. So giant sheer-toothed carnivorous <laughs> possum because it had thumbs. Well, that well, this comes this to is the next the point. Next I've, bit. Just, I've just mentioned, you know, that you know, if you've got a pet cat or something, you'll see how it catches all the native birds because it uses the paired canine teeth and it can slash out with its sharp claws, knock a bird down, puncture with the canine teeth or you'll see it you know par excellence in a lion or something like the cat type uh, uh, dentition but you know and, and once you once you're caught between the canine tooth on something like a saber-toothed cat or a, a lion or whatever there's no escape for the mm. prey you can twist around but you've got two points of contact on your prey but this animal the the teeth that likely to stab are these to incisor teeth, these front incisor teeth. It's like a parrot's beak. So you've got this thing mm. with a skull that's sort of like got a parrot's beak at the front and then big shearing blades at the side. And so, you know, the big debate, how the hell 
did it actually catch its prey? It could punch a nasty hole in its prey with those incisor teeth, but could it hang on? Would the prey go sort of ouch and rush off? Or <laughs> but it was then there was that hand that, mm. that, that, that burned into my brain. The one that, that was reaching up that to hand <laughs> coming up at me out of the sediment. And later on, we would take that hand apart and think of a pair of hands. And one of them was all fused with calcite. And the other, well, they were both filled with calcite. And we removed the calcite on one hand and so we could take it all apart and see how it worked. And we kept the other one as a reference with everything fused together. But what we found was on the thumb, there was a sheathing base on the thumb for a very, very nasty claw. And, uh, and that thumb claw was almost opposable, almost opposable, what we call pseudo-opposable to the palm of the hand. And then, of course, when you looked at the forearm, this Thonicalia has got a very powerful forearm and a reach. So, and, know, yeah. And, and the, 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 its temples, the equivalent to its temples, the, the, where the muscles that pair its jaws, it's got remarkably powerful jaws. It was an incredible, it? incredible musculature. Uh, the, the temporalis musculature and the, the masseteric musculature that close the jaw are just enormous. So, this thing's got. You know, without even having to test anything, just looking at it, you know, it's got an incredibly powerful bite. Yeah, and as I said, Thylacalia is my favourite of the megafauna by a long way for yeah. all of those reasons. Is it yours? Yes. I or is that like, like picking children? Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like that. I mean, they're all so darn fascinating because they're all so different to anything else in the you know the on the planet absolutely on the planet yeah. you know and I mean this is this is the thrill about the whole Australian biota you know it is so damn unique and there's very few there are a few other marsupials that exist elsewhere in the world but you know the majority of Australia's mammal fauna are marsupials you know the the the, well, the rest of any other thing that's non marsupial is is you know feral animals that have been brought in you know and, and uh, so the this is this this deposit was laid down long before you know westerners came here and brought their cats and rats and goats yeah, and sheep and, and 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 like you quite probably and we can never say for certain that you know people 20,000 years ago might not have found their way in here but you you and Grant were the first people we're not talking 20,000, we're well, now talking... 50, 60. 200,000. Oh, two, sorry, in terms of, yes, how old this place is, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. We did not know that at the time. And we, for looking at the preservation and so forth, this, the, the, everything was so beautifully preserved. You know, how long ago was it? You know, we were thinking this could have been, this could have well and truly overlapped with human occupation. What other, and that's what, the fascinating thing, isn't it? So, so we, we, we know... And, and we know that the history of humans in Australia is probably about 60 yeah, so thousand years ago. Yes, it's getting up to around that, yeah, and 55, 60, somewhere. Megafauna, there are places, other places around Australia that tell us that they were here. Yeah, I there think was a crossover. I think there's a fair you know, indication that there's a... And, and it seems to have varied in different parts well, of Australia. Never, we've never found <laughs> what you might call the smoking gun, where, you know, Aboriginal people have been butchering... You know, megafauna as you find in you know in American Indian other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we there's another little interesting twist to all this. And, and as I sat you know, up at the back of this chamber, you know, looking across this, and my brain running at a million mile an hour, 
and I and I just sort of you know you almost felt the weight of history starting to bear down, and um, and I was thinking about the accumulation of these animals, all these animals in here, and then I remember how the caves were discovered, and the caves were discovered because uh, early settlers were out looking for some sheep that the Aboriginals had driven off, and they came across the sheep in Blanche Cave, and the Aboriginals had driven the sheep over the cliff into or over the entrance uh, rim into Blanche Cave and and when they found them there some of the sheep had broken limbs and some of them and they were all wandering around they were to catch food yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, and I was thinking at the time well this is exactly how the Indians used to drive bison over cliffs and so forth yeah. and, I, and I thought I wonder I wonder and this is the freaky bit I wonder if this is a human, human hunting, yeah, yeah. a result of human hunting. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, but we I didn't have, know how old it was. Yeah. We have about 30 seconds remaining. Yeah. We could probably talk for a 1,000 hours. Um, 27 seconds. What's the enduring legacy of the caves? Um, the, the, the richest deposit of Australian uh, Pleistocene megafauna that's been accumulated by the same processes at the same geographic position for over 200,000 years. That is pretty much unprecedented for a, a mammal deposit. We've got plenty of other mammal deposits that have got megafauna. That is but awesome. That is awesome. Rod Wells, thank you so much for sitting with me and talking and sharing your stories in the place where it happened. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Pleasure to me too, Michael, and brings back lots of wonderful memories. Thank you. It's time to spread some paleo jam.